You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. All right. Uh, well, again, happy Lord's Day to everyone. Glad that um, you all are here. Um, this past weekend was, um, or past week was Happy Reformation Day, right? Or, or also known as Halloween. Um, so it was fun to see kids dressed up and uh, running around and having a good time. So it was good. Um, <clears throat> so Hebrews, sorry. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, today Paul is uh, now not revealing his prayers for them, but uh, sort of praying and having them listen in on it, uh, but telling them, in fact, that he does pray for them, how he prays for them, that he's grateful, how that they should walk, and that is wise, uh, how to recognize their identity, and that is in Christ. And I think that those are all uh, very helpful reminders for us, living wisely, making wise choices, um, living in gratitude. Um, and that's really uh, the theme of what Ephesians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 17 look like. Let's read it one more time together. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15 to 17, these are the words of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, uh, I do not uh, cease to give you to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So first things first, let's take a look at verse 15. We'll have a point for verse 15, a point for verse 16, and a point for verse 17. And the point for verse 15 is simply a faith that impacts a faith that impacts. And so this is not the only time that Paul recognizes, records, or affirms uh, Christian faith as a church in the New Testament. He actually does it several different times. He doesn't do it every time. Please note that every book that he writes, he does not say, I have heard of your faith. He doesn't say that. Um, because at that point, it would almost be like, well, is that, I mean, is it just ex everyone exclusively has a strong faith or is it just kind of a, a, a one-off greeting style? Um, but it's actually very specific to certain churches and to certain uh, people, right? Um, I think Philemon directly being one of them. Uh, so, so for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So, so, so what he's, what he's telling them is I've, I've heard of you. Yeah. I've, I've been with you for two years. Um, and, but, but more than that, I've, I've heard of your faith. Like I hear of the impact that it's having in the community. And, and, and before we get into us, um, before we move the application and the principle directly to us, what I would like to do is just take a, a strong hermeneutical turn uh, towards Jesus, right? Because that's, that's the proper thing to do in any text is where, where is Jesus in all of this? And <clears throat> so Paul has is telling them, hey, I, I see a faith that's being reported. And yet when you look at the life of Jesus, you find a life that uh, there is no shortage of information about, right? So there are constant reports, good and bad, right and wrong, going out about Jesus um, in his own life. So 
Luke chapter 7 is uh, one such place as he's working miracles in the New Testament and the gospel narrative there in Luke chapter 7. And he says, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And of course, what spread out was the fact that he had raised uh, a widow's son from the dead. Um, and that's cause for a report, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a big deal. Just like um, at the end of his life when he raised Lazarus from the dead uh, and it just spread like wildfire and caused all kinds of trouble and uh, controversy in the region. Jesus had a faith that others could not ignore. Jesus had a contagious faith. I mean, obviously he's God, right? And so the work that he is doing uh, catches word and catches uh, fire. Now, you live in a different day that Jesus did, and you live in a different day than Paul did. And so the word contagious or the idea of something exponentially getting out there is completely different in the information age. Now, mind you that the information age preceded the advent of the smartphone, okay? And so now, so, so we were talking about the information age long before the smartphone ever came around, and then came the smartphone, and that we just thought we were in the information age. And then we realized what we were in the middle of. And that was a new era, a, a brand new era, unparalleled in human history. Uh, and so with that said, uh, everything about you can and will be, depending on your availability and your willingness and sometimes your unwillingness, be out there for other people to know good and bad, right and wrong. People know things about you that, um, in fact, we don't know, want them to know, right? I mean, companies are listening to us via our cell phones, aren't they? And they're, they're um, you know, my wife and I talk about buying someone a weighted blanket and then the weighted blanket ad comes up. I and mean, this is no mystery. Uh, it, it, it's certainly no conspiracy or scandal. It's just, it's just a matter of fact. Um, uh, there's, there's no scandal in it and there's not, no problem in it as long as you recognize the world that you live in. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that people know everything that there is to know um, uh, in our culture and in economy about us, right? And so uh, Jesus is known for a certain amount of things. Jesus is known for healing the sick, he is known for speaking with authority per the uh, verses at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He is also known for speaking very difficult things and, and strange things that people are not familiar or comfortable with that oftentimes uh, throughout the gospel story uh, results in large amounts of followers or spectators leaving and never coming back. So Jesus is known for a lot of different things. My question for you and I is, as you know, as we read these reports of Jesus, and you know, Luke chapter four, and reports of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. This happens just over and over and over again. What is the report on you? I guess that's the direct application because it's manifestly clear that that there is a good report. There is a good report on the church at Ephesus. But the question is, is what is the report on you? Does that make sense? And I think the answer there is, well, it depends on who's asking. Or, or, or who's answering, right? Um, what is the report on you by your spouse? What is your, how, how does your faith, your faith reported by your spouse? How is your faith reported by your boss? How is your faith reported by your best friends, 
How is your faith reported by your enemies? How is your faith, get ready, reported by your children? Whew, right, help me. Um, yeah, so what is, what's, what's the report, right? And um, th- the truth is, is that it, it's not just faith that's in report. If you'll notice, the text says, and your love, right? So it's not just, it's not just the faithfulness and the faith of Ephesus that's being reported here. It is also their love. And this is very consistent with uh, the message of Jesus. Ephesian Christianity at the time of this writing was praiseworthy, it was, it was praiseworthy. Um, there were, Paul wasn't dealing with any direct scandals. It didn't seem like oftentimes when we read a letter, we can find out what's going on at that church uh, and problems that are directly and clearly being addressed by the author. None of that's here. Uh, we won't find that. Um, there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, there's probably not any massive problems at Ephesus at the time. Number two, it was a letter that was supposed to be circulate, circulated and distributed among many churches. And so the more general you could keep it, the better off it was. Um, but Jesus told us that we're supposed to be known and reported by our faith. Uh, it says, uh, as you know, in John chapter 13, uh, there in his sermon to uh, his friends and disciples in the upper room on Thursday, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, if you're taking notes, a new commandment I give to you, he says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Please note that in Jesus' new command, the love that is in view is for one another. And the one another is very specifically targeted to the church. It it, it is not talking about love outside the church. Are Christians called to love people outside of the church? Well, of course, don't be absurd. Of course we are. But here in John 13, Jesus' specified new commandment is specifically to the one another of believers, which is odd because that same kind of you know, love that we're supposed to be reported on or known for is exactly the kind of love that's here in Ephesians. See, it says here in Ephesians, uh, and the love toward all the saints. It has a specific target. It's not love for everybody or love for the marketplace or love for your enemies. That's not what's in view here in Ephesus. It's not what's in view in the new commandment. What's in view is love for believers specifically, right? That that kind of love should be so noteworthy. It should be so impactful. It should be so momentous that people would take note of and go, wow, how they love each other and care for uh, one another. And, and so, I, I, yeah, that's, that's the question is, is, is your faith and is your love impactful? Now, here's a sobering turn to this point and to this story. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. The church of Ephesus has an incredible, incredible history. They have had the Apostle Paul as their uh, sort of founding member, as it were, 
Um, he has been pastor for two years later. Uh, we, we know, according to church history, that his disciple Timothy would also be the pastor of Ephesus, which I have mentioned from the pulpit many times, and the apostle John, okay? But a, a fellowship... A fellowship that was once called, that was once reported for how faithful they were and how loving they were. Listen, listen to what's said here about the church much later uh, in the church's life. Revelation 2, the Apostle John, who also pastored the church, is now writing uh, most likely to his former church in verses 4 through 5, uh, and he's writing. Uh, as from God, what the Spirit says to the churches, but I have, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So there's a different report that's gone out, right? They, they've lost their love. Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. The rest of the part of verse five talks about them getting their charter taken away from them. The Lord Jesus, the keeper of the structure, the constitution, the light, and the government of the church is also at will to open and close churches at will by his providence and wisdom. And so what he says is, is if you don't repent, we're going to shut it down. And and before we sort of gasp at the tragedy that it is, because it's, it's true that a closing of a church is a tragedy, but oftentimes a closing of a church can be a grace, can it? Um, and um, just like an opening of a church can sometimes be a gift, and sometimes it can be a curse, right? Uh, it really just depends on the situation. And so what's interesting here is that we have in front of us the life of, the timeline, a part of the timeline of the life of the church at Ephesus. And we see them on, in one page, being praised for their love. And we see them on a different page, uh, being threatened to lose their charter. All because of lovelessness. If you go on to read about what's going on in Ephesus, these people uh, probably could not be any more like us. They are zealous for truth. Zealous for truth. They know the truth. They oppose false teaching right? Uh, a specific group is mentioned by name uh, that, that they oppose. They are zealous for doctrine. They, 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 they want the truth to be told, but they have lost their love. They've lost the new commandment given to them. They've lost their pastors, and clearly they've lost their way. And so here's the thing. Is there such a thing as loveless faith? And the answer is yes, manifestly, clear that we can have a faith that's devoid of love. Um, and yet, James, the brother of Jesus, would say that's, that's really no faith at all, right? Because faith without works, specifically the work of love, is dead. So my question to you is, not only are, are you known for your faith at work by your kids, what's the report on you from your spouse on, in your faith and faithfulness, but what about love? What is what what what's what's the report on you? And, and and moreover, what is it that you're known for? What is it that you are known for? 
Uh, so when I asked, are you known for love? Please note that I did not say, are you known for uh, compromising I- inclusivity and the tolerance of all things, which is what some people think love is. Some people think me loving you means I'm going to sacrifice my very own conscience to love you. That I have to be so inclusive that I'm just going to abandon my belief and abandon my conscience. Let me tell you something. There's probably nothing more dangerous than a man who's abandoned his own conscience. Probably nothing more dangerous than a man who's abandoned his own conscience. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, tolerance is the value of a man without convictions. So here's the thing. I am to love you. I am to love you. Uh, specifically in this context, I'm, I'm, to love believe, well, I'm to love believers, according to the new commandment in John and here in Ephesians. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean letting go of the truth, right? Uh, lo- loving is important. Um, so, so if that's not what lit love is, if it's not blind inclusion, what is it? And, and just tolerance of everything. Uh, well, it, it's very clearly laid out for us, right? I mean, it's, um, it, it's patience and kindness. It, it's not carrying a grudge that would, that would incline me to keeping a record of wrong, right? Um, it, it, it endures well. When we say patient, it, it, there's feet to that patient. It, it endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It's, it, it's the divine love that never fails, right? Next, Paul goes on to tell them that he is praying for them. If that's not been manifestly clear by verses 3 through 14, I don't know. But he finds another need to tell you, hey, by the way, if you missed the prayer in verses 3 through 14, I'm praying for you, right? Um, And so he says here in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You're very familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. I mean, it's almost a coffee mug verse, right? Um, and, and, and so, but, but, but what does this pray without ceasing mean? It, the, so, so the verse has to it, both Paul's verse in Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians has the idea of constancy, right? Constancy. And, and, and that you would be in a constant state of prayer, that you would be sober-minded enough to move to prayer quickly, right, throughout your day. So when we say pray without ceasing, we don't mean that you're a hermit monk uh, in the monastery of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, And that's where you're at all the time, right? There's a Carmelite monastery uh, about 20 miles from my house uh, in rural Arkansas there. And um, I mean, that's what it is. It's it's a place where uh, monks do their their work and they are closed off from the outside world. And, and God has called you in your devotion to be monastic to a degree, to get alone with him, but he's also called us to be missional. So the Christian life is holding the monastic and the missional together, right? Making them one so that we don't turn into an early church father and a desert monk, right? Um, we need to be praying uh, constantly. Uh, and, and, and prayer in the New Testament is something that's very, very important. 
um, when the elders were talking about their work with the deaconry as the church government was being formed in Acts chapter 6, they said, we need to give ourselves to the word and to prayer. Can you deal with this benevolence issue, Philip, Stephen, etc.? Right? That's what was going on because they felt like they needed to give themselves to prayer. And they were in good company because not just a few chapters before, um, we read about early Christians praying um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to everybody who was praying, and not only praying, but they were praying together, right? This is just after the ascension of Jesus. So the, they had watched Jesus, his body be lifted off the ground and go into the heaven in verse 10, 8 through 10, okay? And then listen to what happens in verse 14, the same chapter. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, and it says who, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So these people, post-resurrection, post-death, and now post-ascension, are dedicated to giving their lives to prayer. Um, prayer is uh, something that is not in vogue. It's not very cosmopolitan. Mindfulness is, in our culture, you can download a mindfulness meditation app of any sort, in any kind, and any theological persuasion on your phone. Um, however, uh, biblical meditation and mindfulness that leads you to prayer uh, is, is something that certainly you and I are called to. So the, the whole pray without ceasing thing needs to be something that you do constantly. Since we're speaking of constantly, and I, I think probably prayer is not as much the point of the application of this verse as the mode of constancy is probably the major application here, okay? So let's just talk about constant. When you think of your life, what are you constantly doing? Because the, the command is constantly pray, okay? So sort of converse with that. What is it that you're constantly known for? What is it that you're constantly doing? I am constantly worrying. I am constantly angry. I am constantly nervous. I am the most apprehensive person in the world, right? I constantly complain. Because I am so nervous, I just constantly talk. I constantly boss others around. I constantly meditate on things that happened in the past, events that I was a part of, things that I said. I'm socially anxious. I, I'm, I'm, it, it racks my brain and dominates my life. Right? So when we talk about constancy, what's the word on you? And probably as parents, we can do a good job of uh, knowing our children enough to help them with those questions, even, even at this young age. Is seven, eight, and nine too young to apply uh, sort of this application of, of regular prayer and things dominating us in our mind? Of course not. Of course not. Um, I mean, we, we, we leave them in here for catechism to the age of this because we believe... Uh, we believe in their role here uh, and certainly in their viability spiritually. Um, 
So what, what is it that you do with constancy? And, it, and if you don't know, if, if you're having a hard time with self-diagnosis, then put yourself in someone else's shoes and then self-diagnose from that angle. What is it that people may, may know you for? Finally here, verse 17, as Paul says, look, I, I'm praying for you all the time. As if that has not been manifestly clear already, he just says, hey, I, I'm praying for you. Um, I, I want you to know that I remember you constantly in my prayers. And then he says, he talk, starts talking about wisdom, identity, and Christian maturity here in verse 17. Uh, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, is a wonderful name for God, the Father of glory, uh, that uh, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. One more time. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Um. So I mean, I, I think I think the first thing that I that I see that leaps up off the page is, is is wisdom, right? Generally, I stick my foot in my mouth with the relationships of my life, both at home and at work, with my children and my marriage, or on the telephone or whoever it may be, or in the email. In email, I often stick my you know uh, my um, foot in my mouth. There's something to be said of writing an email quickly or too early or too late, right? I mean, there's probably not good wisdom in that. Uh, but, but we oftentimes do these things. Um, so, and it all does relate back to just making good and wise decisions, right? We ever say something to your spouse and say, why did I say that? I, 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 why? Why did I say that? That's a bad decision. It was not wise, right? Um, and, and what Paul's praying for here, he's praised their faith, he's praised their love, but now he's praying for wisdom for them. He's praying for Christian maturity. He's praying for them to have what they already have and to know what they already have in Christ. Uh, this, isn't, this is a verse about wisdom, but moreover, it's a verse about identity. So let's, speaking of wisdom, just think in your brain with me, if we could just do a quick application activity. Think in your brain this week of the most juvenile interaction that you had this week. The most juvenile interaction that you had this week. And, and, and it, it's not even necessarily you that was being juvenile. We'll just give you the benefit of the good doubt here, okay? All right. Not that you need any help with that. Um, so, I certainly don't. Um, the most juvenile situation that you were in this week. Fair, fair to say that every single situation, though they are very varied uh, and, and they're all over the place, probably could have been cut off uh, not only if the initial person had practiced a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of discernment and a little bit of judgment, but maybe even in your response back, if you had a response back, unless you were the first person doing it, in stopping and saying, what's, what's the most wise response here? That's extremely difficult for our, us extroverts, right? Who the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak, and that's just our verse and amen, right? Uh, we just speak too much, right? Um, but marriage flourishing comes down to a spirit of wisdom. Parenting relationships and interactions with them and flourishing comes down to wisdom. Relationships at work difficult as they may be, or even wonderful and gracious as they may be, come down to good, wise, discerning 
decisions, thoughts, and words at work. We often pray this prayer at work. God, help us to honor you in all that we say and do. That verse, the obedience to that verse, requires wisdom. It requires it. It doesn't matter uh, what vert you are, right? Ambivert, introvert, extrovert. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it all requires wisdom. Um, so, uh, in this verse, uh, it, uh, the, the, the question is, I think when, when you look at it, and this is just kind of a pastoral apologetic tangent real quick. If you're reading this verse um, on the outset, you might think that this verse was talking about you getting a two-part salvation or a two-part blessing. Listen to it. Um, so think second blessing. Think uh, was saved but didn't have the Holy Spirit. And, and having that bias and having that background and having that teaching, now with that assumption, read this verse. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's writing to believers. He's already said that they're believers. He's already praised their faith and love. But now he's praying that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Is, is he praying for more of the Holy Spirit to them? My question for you uh, today is, Can you? did you receive a half Christ or a half gospel? When you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, did you get half of it? Did it come in installments? Is that, is that anywhere in the biblical record besides maybe Acts chapter 19 verse 10 where believers had believed in Christ, were not there at Pentecost, and yet received the Spirit from the laying on of hands, right? Uh, what does the biblical record show? And the biblical record shows uh, you don't get a half Christ, you don't get a half gospel, and you don't get a half Holy Spirit. You get all of it. You get all of it. You, you get all of it at the point of conversion. You believe and repent. God, God gives you a new heart and bam, right? You are net, you now have everything that you need. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. You are now a partaker in the divine nature. God imparted wisdom. God gives, when you became a Christian, God gave you everything that you needed for life and godliness, everything. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, which is the previous verse. So in one verse, it says you have everything that you need for life and godliness, including this wisdom mentioned, including this knowledge mentioned, including this revelation mentioned. And in the following verse, it says, just to take it one step further, you're a partaker in the divine nature. You got everything that you need. So no, you don't get the Holy Spirit in installment payments. That, that's not the way it works, right? Installments. You, you, you don't get it like that. You get all of it. All at the same time, uh, you've received Christ altogether. Um, so the question is, well, wh what does that mean? Uh, why is it saying the spirit of wisdom? Uh, I, I think you could go a couple of different ways in the application here. Uh, I think uh, one way you could say is, is that is the spirit uh, with this particular article referring to the spirit of God, or is it talking about a spirit? So if you go over to the book of Daniel, uh, it says that he was given uh, an extraordinary spirit, and that's a small s. Many people say it should be a capital S this, because it's referring to the spirit of God that endowed him with special gifts, uh, which the spirit did. And you do your Old Testament spirit studies. You often did that in the Old Testament. Um, 
so is it uh, capital S Holy Spirit or is it a small s a gift of the nature of something and they call it spirit um, whatever it is uh, even if it's the Holy Spirit uh, perhaps it's just the realization of what you already have which is why here we're talking about identity right so I'm under the I'm under the impression and and the assumption that you already have everything that you need. You're, you're sealed with a person, as we talked about last week, right? Uh, you've been given everything that you need for life and godliness. Uh, your life is already hidden with Christ and God in the heavenly places. You have uh, absolutely been given everything. But here's the thing. We just, as you know, we, we forget who we are a lot of times. Most of the time, we forget who we are, right? Um, there's a reason that this, this song, when we sing it, He Will Hold Me Fast, is such a sweet song. Uh, because we know ourselves, we know human nature. We know that our love often grows cold, right? And we know that we have a Savior who gives us everything and who has to hold us fast. And who supplies all that He demands. Um, uh, which is certainly true here. James, the brother of Jesus, even though he's completely convinced of God supplying all that he demands, still asked for wisdom, right? Um, James chapter 1, verse 5. It's a famous verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Uh, let me give you a book recommendation. The book recommendation is specifically about identity. It's probably the Christian classic on all things identity. It's uh, by a man by the name of Miles Stanford, and the book is The Green Letters. Miles Stanford, The Green Letters. Now, you're not going to agree with everything that Miles Stanford says, um, uh, nor will you in hardly any book that you read besides the Bible. Um, but uh, it is a wonderful book because what's, what, what Miles Stanford w wants to do, and he's been went on to be with the Lord, um, he wants to show you that uh, basically appropriating truth or reckoning something to be true and remembering it and remembering who your identity is, is, central, in Christ, is central in the Christian life. And so he goes through the book making that case. Uh, and the green letters can actually be broken up into smaller letters to make kind of one big volume. But it's a wonderful book, um, and I, I think you would certainly enjoy it. Um, we forget what we are, you know this, and we forget what we have. And, and here's, a, here's a story to sort of drive that home. William Randolph Hearst was a famous American tycoon, businessman, and journalist. Uh, he was most known for his uh, newspaper uh, that he owned. He uh, died in his day worth about $3 billion today uh, $3 billion, sort of the same economy. It was about $30 billion. So you've got to get your, eye, your head around how much William Randolph Hearst was worth. And, of course, uh, throughout his later life, he loved art and collected it um, by the warehouse full, really, um, and just loved it and would have buyers that would go for him in different places, and the, he would see a piece or hear about a piece, and he would say, I want you to go find that and track that down. And... Um, I don't know if you've ever had art history at university or if you just ever studied as a hobby, but it really is wonderful. Uh, Christian, uh, Christian uh, 
Christian art history particularly is, is, is very intriguing uh, as well. But anyway, when uh, William Randolph Hearst goes, uh, and, and the story goes like this. Uh, he's accumulated all this stuff, and he hears of a particular painting that he wants. And he sends it off to one of his buyers. Well, the buyers are normally able to locate them very quickly. And so they go and go and go, and this, this goes on for months, where normally they could locate something within a week or two right? Um, a month passes and then two and then three and it goes on and on and on. And they just can't find this. And finally they locate it and they come back to William Randolph first. And they said, you're not going to believe this. We found it. We got great news. He says, awesome. Let's buy it. He said, you already own it. It's in one of your warehouses. Um, that story, that story, I think is a lot of what's applied here with wisdom with understanding, with revelation. If we believe that we didn't receive a half Christ, if we believe that we already have a new heart and the mind of Christ, and if Second Peter chapter 1 is true and we already have everything that we've been given for life and godliness, oftentimes we're looking for things that's in a warehouse that we already own, right? We, it's, it's already there. And you say, but I don't feel that way. I don't, I don't feel wise. I don't, I don't feel equipped. I don't, I don't feel like that's true. And, and the answer pastorally for that is it doesn't matter what you feel. You're like, how could you say that? Um, if I lived by my feelings, where would I be? Where would I be, right? Uh, if I was driven only by my emotions and my emotions only, where would I be? Don't hear me demonize emotions. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, you have emotions because you were made in the image of God. You, you have a spirit because you were made in the image of God. You have a soul because you were made, you are eternal because you were made in the image of God. You have an intellect because you were made in the image of God because he also has an intellect. You have a desire and a will because you were made in the image of God and God has that too. And you have emotions because a God who is without body has emotions. Emotions are a wonderful thing. Wonderful. It's what makes life beautiful, I think. But it is not to be worshipped. It's not to be worshipped. Um, and it's certainly not to steer or govern our lives. If God looks at you in the face and says, I've given you everything for life and godliness, and this is the message of the biblical record, then we have to, we have to believe that. Um, even if uh, waking up to the human condition uh, uh, is increasingly difficult. Well, that's that. Uh, a pastor who loves his people and when he gets done praying for them in front of them says, hey, by the way, I'm praying for you. Um, and, and, and the things that he's praying for is for them to love one another, for them to continue being praiseworthy in their contagious faith and love and for them to know who they are and to access what they already have. Uh, and so let me encourage you to that end. We're going to take the Lord's table today. Um, Fernandez, I hate to ask y'all to leave Margot. Is it possible for y'all to serve? Is that a possibility? She's in Snoozeville. Excellent. Great. You guys can serve us today. We're going to pray together. The front are going to serve us. The Lord's table. Margo's helped us out. And, uh, and we're going to, uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace and your love for us and to us. And uh, God, I, I thank you for your word. 
which directs our lives, which you've commanded us to order our lives by. And so we thank you for constituting this, this family, this faith family, this, this new covenant, this church, this, this holy nation, uh, this priesthood, this, this kingdom, God. And we pray that you would keep us, God, as you've constituted it, um, and that you would drive us forward in truth, remind us of the truth, help us to be meditating and mindful, God, of these things. Help us to make wise choices, God, this week and to respond wisely, God. Help us um, to have a faith that is contagious and loving because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, God. Thank you for this table, for uh, the privilege to look at the gospel full face and to have it nourish and feed our souls. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Are you free to take? Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.